Hello and welcome to another episode of That's What People Do. You are joined by me, Ryan McGowan, and as always, James Kay. How are you, bud? I'm very well, thank you, Ryan. How are you doing? I am good. As you can hear, listener, I am COVID-free. Um, and then James got it. Yeah, literally a few days after. It was funny. Uh, but <clears> we're both we're both healthy. We are both uh, the what is it the the, the picture of health. I think that might be yep. the right word, but it. The uh, only thing that happened to me was I got a bit of a cold and vinegar tasted weird. Vinegar? That's so bizarre. Yeah, like str- and garlic as well. I had something garlicky and I was like, this tastes horrible. And then I lost my taste for like one meal, but then I was fine. All good. Wow. I never got this. I literally just got a really bad cold. Yeah. I had that for a day and then I felt fine. Wow. Um, so, it's my episode again. Now, the reason why James is super busy at uh, university, obviously, is as we know, James is studying a master's degree at the moment. And uh, we were just having our pre-record chat. And honestly, man, the levels of work that he has to do at the moment is insane. Um, so we've, we've gone in with uh, my episode, which has been a listener request that's been pending. And it needs to kind of, I think there's no better time than now to do it. Um, so, yeah, there's that. Uh, also, a uh, quick note on Nat Turner, last episode. I almost felt like we ought to write that off because I was, I was listening back and I sound like an absolute mess. <laughs> I was like, I'll power through. Um, I sound trash. But um, we're aware there was some uh, volume issues with uh, James and I's audio. So uh, if you have listened to it and you've listened to it all the way through, thank you. And you have a gold star (coughs) getting all the way through. Uh, If you didn't, totally understand. Uh, (laughs) It was a tricky one because I accidentally fiddled with some knobs before I started recording. And then I could hear Ryan's voice through my microphone which was just awful so i had to turn it was it was just a mess that <laughs> has been rectified this week it shouldn't happen again it was a bad week for for us um so yeah uh if you'd like to support the show of course you can always do so you can head to our Kofi page if you'd like to uh, pick up some merch maybe some t-shirts uh, or a mug or anything like that you can always head to our merch store all the links to that is on our uh, social media you can find us on instagram just click the link and it will take you to whatever it is you want to do uh, once I've got that out of the way, we can start. Now, as the 17th century writer William Congreve put it, quote, Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. I always thought that was Shakespeare, but it turns out it wasn't. Oh, that does sound very Shakespearean. It is. It was written around the same time as Shakespeare, but it, and it was by a man called William, just not Shakespeare. Uh, oh. So, yeah, as I say... William William Congreve said, Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. And arguably, nobody embodies that phrase more than the subject of our episode today. We are talking about Olga of Kiev, the princess you do not want to piss off. Uh, now, to just uh, head this out, we are talking about Kiev in Ukraine. And we will pronounce it as Kiev, as uh, locals in Ukraine tend to call it. Um, I grew up calling it Kiev, which I'm sure, James, you did too. Um, yeah, 100%. But apparently that is the Russian pronunciation, um, and the Ukrainian people call it Kiev, so we shall call it Kiev from now on. And I'll so be honest just, with uh, you, just... I'll be honest with you, it, it's, it did take me a while to get used to saying the way, uh, saying it that particular way, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, same. Yeah, um, I'm with you. Because it's like a... The, the Y and then the E, it's almost like it's just one elongated E. It just sounds uh, so unnatural in my mouth. I, so for, for the purposes of titling the video as well, because I, I'm, I'm going to be editing this video and uploading it, um, if you Google it, it's still spelled K-E-K-I-E-V. However, more recent articles and stuff have now changed to K-Y-I-E-V. Yeah. And that's what I'm going to be following. So if you are wondering why it's not spelled like Chicken Kiev, it's because we've gone with the Ukrainian spelling, not the Russian spelling. For obvious reasons. Mm. Now, first, as always, some context, because we love context. Now, during the 8th century, an area of land we would now recognise as Belarus, Ukraine and Russia was settled by many tribes of Slavic people. Just like any other tribal people around Europe at the time, they generally kept to themselves, except for when trading and fighting with each other. They weren't particularly united in any way. But at the same time, 
the Scandinavians were getting a bit bored of fighting over scraps of rocky terrain to farm over. And with more and more people being born into the Scandi world, they needed to find more land to settle on. Many Danes and Norsemen went Viking, pillaging and looting the British Isles, eventually going on to settle and creating the Danelaw. But across the border in Sweden, they had other ideas. Instead of venturing west, many Swedes went to the east, to the land of the Finns, and further to lands we would now call Russia. But many found the great rivers of the Danube, Dnieper and Don too tempting. Some of these rivers cut right through the centre of Europe, and the Dnieper emptying out into the Black Sea and onto the old city of Constantinople, which is now Istanbul. Now, these rivers led the Swedes to vast riches, so it became a sort of Viking highway. And like journeys on a highway today, oftentimes you need to stop off at a service station to refuel and replenish. And those going Viking often stopped at settlements along the great rivers and traded goods with the local Slavs. But just as common was a raid where they, looked, where they took what they wanted and burnt everything along the way and even sold Slavs into slavery. Which is not ideal. Slavery is a common theme throughout this podcast and we've always been firmly against it so I'm glad we're taking our stand again. Absolutely. I, think, I do think it is important to mention slavery um, whenever it comes up in history. Um, it's you know. Oh, it's a massive part of history, isn't it? And I, I think majority of, especially Europe, is very guilty of enslaving <laughs> most of the world. Yeah. Um, now, interestingly, uh, it's it's thought. Now, this is not concrete, but it's thought that the etymology of the term slave could have originated from the word Slav. Um, as many Slavic people were put into slavery, so just Slavs were then known to be slaves. That's the kind of people they were. They thought them to be just lesser. So Slavs became slave, maybe, which is an interesting factoid. Mm. Now, the local Slavs began to call the raiders Varingians or Rus, old terms thought to be linked with people who row. And Rus is also where today's Russia takes its name, the people that row, which is interesting. Now, like many other regions that dealt with Vikings, it became a moment of unity. Kingdoms and tribes joined up to rid themselves of the marauding Vikings, and the Slavs successfully managed to push their overlords back across the Baltic Sea. But as you would expect, with no unifying cause to keep people on the same page, infighting be between Slavs caused instability in the region. Uh, side note. From here, most of the sources that are used uh, for this story come from the Primary Chronicle, which is a historical account of the time written by a monk called Nestor. And when I say of the time, sort of only like 100, 200 years afterwards. So it, it's, not like, it's not like Homer writing about Troy bloody a thousand years ago or something when he definitely was not there. But it's, um, it's not quite yesterday, if that makes sense. I'm with you. Uh, but it is the main source used for early medieval Russia, although there is some doubt over the validity of some things. So take some elements with a pinch of salt, and I, I'll probably cover those bits when we get to them. But back to the story. With all the infighting, some Slavs saw the stabilising effect the Swedes had over the region when they were marauding and viking. They invited the Swedes to find a prince that would rule over the Slavic people, and a prince was found, a guy named Rurik. Now, he moved to the region and established his capital, calling it Nov Novgorod, which is uh, today Russia. Not the actual area, but Novgorod is actually still around today in Russia and is actually one of the oldest cities in Russia. Now, Rurik's... It? Yeah, yeah, it's like over a thousand years old. It's insane. And it's just like a small city not too far away from St. Petersburg. Now, Rurik set about establishing laws in the region and calming tensions between Slavic tribes. Now, bringing in the Swedes seemed to do the trick. Stability in the region was happening, and Rurik would die in 879 CE. His son Igor, who was to follow him as ruler, was too young for the time. So, Oleg, who is described as a kinsman of Rurik, took charge as ruler. Um, it may, he may have been a brother, but it's more apparently likely he was like a brother-in-law. 
Um, right, just, okay. just so we're clear, I'd like to make that because I feel like we're always honest <laughs> with you know things like this. Like a lot of a lot of like creators and podcasters and YouTubers and all that kind of stuff, they like get a source and then they just like repeat it verbatim. And it's like, dude, you've not yeah, actually yeah, yeah. looked into it anything, have you? You've just taken this source as being reputable and then not done any else, any other research on it. So, you know, yeah. when we when we come up with stuff, I'll tell you if it's likely or not. Anyway, Oleg was the archetypal Viking ruler. He raided and expanded his lands, establishing a Rurikid dynasty, heading south, claiming the lands of today's Belarus and Ukraine, where he came upon the wooded city of Kiev. Now, he named himself the Prince of Kiev and made it his capital for the newly formed princedom of the Kievan Rus. It's, have you heard of the term? I heard of the term before I learnt this episode, but like, I did not know anything about it. I'm, I have no idea what this is about now. Yeah. Now, it is important to point out before we continue, this princedom was a tribute-based world. So it's not like uh, kings of old in like England where they had lords that were like bezzy mates. This was more, mm. um, there were several tribes that made up the princedom of the Kievan Rus. And for Oleg to stay the prince of all of them, they had to pay uh, um, tribute to him. And in turn, he would protect them all with his massive army. Now, right. one loyal tribe of the bunch were the Drevlians, who had fought alongside Oleg and his predecessor, Rurik. So they were like, yeah, we like you. You're a good, strong fighter. You protect us. We'll pay tribute. No problems here. Uh, unfortunately, Oleg died after ruling for some time, uh, having established a, a fairly good working princedom. Everything was kind of cushy. Um, they went out raided. They were quite wealthy under him. And yeah, everything was good. Now, Oleg's death is quite funny and worth telling. However, it is... It, there is some contention to actually how he died, but how it's generally reported is quite funny. Now, he's a he's a Norse man, right? He's a Viking dude, uh, and they mm. believe in prophecy and witches and all that kind of stuff, right? Uh, and he went to see a seer who prophesied that his death was inextricably linked with his horse. His death will become, his death will come from his horse, and he's like, right, okay. So, to avoid any such death, he had the horse taken away to be cared for. Not killed, just take it away. Far away. That's nice. Yeah. Uh, At least he's not killing it. I know, which is surprising, right? Now, when he was told that the horse had died, he went to go see the horse and mockingly kicked the horse, kicked its carcass, right? Being like, ha, I beat you. I have outwitted death itself. I am now immortal. However, when he kicked the horse, unbeknownst to him, a snake was hiding around the leg of the horse and then jumped out, startled over the kick and bit him and it killed him. <laughs> so the prophecy technically was fulfilled. The horse was inextricably linked to his death. That's... I don't want to say it's funny, but it's really funny. It is funny, isn't it? <laughs> I think it's okay to laugh at that. I, th I think it's fine. I mean, yeah, he's been dead a long time. He has been dead it's a long a, time. We, we can laugh. Yeah. Now uh, that's really. I, I would. I would put myself in a in a horseless environment for my entire entire time. I'd live on top of a mountain or something. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't understand why he didn't have the horse killed. That would just would have made more sense. But everything he loved. It would have made horse. it. I'm 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 glad he didn't. But yeah, if if they like this horse is going to kill you eventually, you've got to get in there quick. Yeah. Yeah. And see that horse off. Uh, so, obviously, Rurik's son, who is now of age to rule, he took over. His name was Igor. And he also had a wife named Olga. Now we're getting somewhere. So, context over. Let's talk about Olga for a hot second. And I mean a second. Because we really don't know much about her early life. She was born any time between 890 or 920 CE. We know she was of Varingian origin, so she was not a Slav, but she was actually uh, from the first Rus people that came from Sweden to Novgorod uh, when Rurik became prince. So that's all we kind of know. We know that she lived in a small village outside of Rurik's original capital of Novgorod. And um, yeah, that's about it. 
and the only notable thing we hear about Olga is when she was married, mar married to Prince o Igor. So yeah, that's about as much as we know about her, but it's what she does in life that's more interesting. Now, she's not on like Instagram or anything. She is not. <laughs> oh, that's a shame. Now, it's widely thought that she would have been no older than 15 at the time of her marriage to Igor, himself being around the mid-twenties, which in today's eyes we would look at as a bit weird. I imagine then it probably wasn't as bad, but it's still weird. I mean, yeah, right, okay. This is I don't want I don't know if I want to say this publicly. Uh -oh. I've had this I've had this discussion so many times about like underage brides in history. And obviously, by today's standards, it, it it's not right. You, you you're a pedophile. But the laws and times of the time, technically they weren't pedophiles because that you know what I mean? I think um, the way they might have put it was, if you're old enough to bear a child, you are an adult. Right, This, yeah, this is the thing. They they based it purely based on whether a woman had had her period. If you, I think the second that happens, they are then able to bear children. Yeah, because... Which, it, it's fu by today's standards, we see that and we're horrified. That's horrible. But by the old standards... That's just how they did it. I don't know if I'm digging a hole here. Well, no. I feel like I because am. Because aren't there instances where, like, kings or princes who are definitely in their 30s have been engaged to, like, five-year-olds because they know when they're old enough they will marry them? Oh, yeah, for sure. And that's deeply, deeply fucked. But it's all about keeping lineages, like, secure, if you know what I mean. How, for example, I've, was Henry VIII and Catherine of Aragon? No, it was his brother or something. There was a big age discrepancy there. But it was all about royal families like marrying each other, keeping bloodlines pure, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it, they, they they didn't care for, and most of it was incestuous <laughs> as well. To be honest, yeah, it's not ideal. Now they married in the early 10th century and would only have one son between them that I could find, and his name was Sviatoslav. That's actually a very difficult name to say. S V I, and just saying that is is quite it's quite. So, uh, the, the name is Fatislav. Uh, there's a guy, a Ukrainian MP at the minute. He's the youngest Ukrainian MP. Yes. Uh, and one of my colleagues got an interview with him. So, if you want to go and read an article where he uh, answered some questions from someone I work with, go and have a look. I've seen the footage. He's a fascinating guy. He was just bowling around with an AK-47. I know. It's fascinating. And even, I think he said in an interview, he was like, I've no business running around with, an air, uh, with a rifle, but I need to do it. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating. But the... the, the the interview they had with him is, is mad. I'm, I'm very impressed they managed to get it as well. They also, right, while we're on the topic, they also got an interview with a Russian uh, politician who was very much anti-war, and that was just fascinating. That is interesting. Yeah, I hope he's okay. Yeah, yeah, that's very interesting. So, yeah, we don't know much about Olga's marriage to Igor, except that she must have loved her husband quite a lot based on what she would go on to do. Now... Igor was away on raids quite a bit, including two attempts at raiding Constantinople, but even the Poundland Eastern Roman Empire was too much for Prince Igor. With the big catch eluding him, Igor relied on plundering small towns and cities, including the tributes paid to him from the Kievan Rus tribes, all except one. Now, you remember those Drevlians who fought alongside Oleg and Rurik that were like quite, they were quite loyal? Uh, well, they weren't really that fussed over Rurik's son when Igor came to power. They refused to pay tribute, instead opting to pay a local warlord for protection. Naturally, Igor went down on the Drevlians hard. He took a huge army to the capital of the Drevlian tribe and demanded they pay tribute. Understanding that they were outnumbered, they submitted and paid up. But it seems that Igor was a greedy boy. Not content with the Drevlian's tribute, he was convinced by fellow princes of the Rus to levy another tribute. So, he went back and asked for more. But that went down as well as you would expect for a tribe that already doesn't like you. Mm. <laughs> uh, mm. This is where it gets a bit naughty. Okay, yeah. I'm ready. <laughs> um, Eagle's mistake was going with such small numbers. The Drevlians had a better idea. They would fight against Igor, successfully beat him, killing all his men. Unfortunately, the fate that awaited Igor was worse than dying on the field of battle, in my opinion. Oh no. The Drevlians bent over two birch trees. Now imagine the force it takes to bend a tree, 
like a catapult, like bend it over. Yeah, they're yeah. A lot. They bur- they bent over two birch trees and tied each of Eagle's legs to them, and then they let the trees what? go, as oh. as they swung violently back into their upright position. Igor was torn in two. Fucking How hell. brutal. Whose idea was uh, that? I don't know. I'm going to assume it was the prince of the area, Prince Mal. A truly gruesome yeah. act that even Jigsaw, I imagine, would be proud of. That I mean, it's inventive. It's I, very inventive. <laughs> who would have thought that? Like, why don't we like pull that tree down, attach his leg to it, and then just watch him rip apart in half? And no one went... That seems a bit much. <laughs> Maybe we shouldn't yeah. do that. Uh, everyone else went, yeah, that's no. that's a great idea. We should do that. We should totally... And everyone went, yeah, we should totally do that. That's mental that that happened. But to be fair, I would not argue with the guy who proposed <laughs> doing that in all seriousness. Very good. Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. You don't want to mess with that dude. <laughs> no, I'm like, yep, great idea. Yeah, Crack on. I'm good just going to go uh, inside. Yeah. Just going to leave the country for a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Now, back in Kiev, Olga received Drevlian messengers, around 20 of them, who told her of her husband's death. I'm not sure if they told her the full extent, but they were like, yeah, dude's dead. Um, their letter said, quote, We slew your husband because he plundered us like a wolf. Our princes are good and have preserved the land of the Drevlians. So we come to you requesting you to marry our Prince Mal. Now, I think that's such a blokey way of handling things. A woman has just been notified of the death of her beloved husband, and then the new guys come in like, so do you want to go on a date? It's like, no, Darren, let me grieve, please. (laughs) (laughs) There's no time to rest. (laughs) Quick, no time. Get married again. Come on. It's like, hold on a minute. I've not even processed the fucking information you've just told me. What's happened to my husband? You've got to shoot your shot. When you, as yeah. and when you can, uh, mate, that's so dodgy. So, did they tell her how her husband died? I don't died know. As well? No, it doesn't specify if they told her how. Um, I'm going to assume she found out at some point, though, because that would make that encounter even funnier. <laughs> going in excruciating detail about how he died, and then following up with, "So, <laughs> how are you doing?" <laughs> yeah. Listen, your husband's half a man. Our prince is a full-bodied guy. <laughs> yeah, he's got that going for him. <laughs> Now, not only did Olga dislike the idea of marrying the murderers of her husband, but she also knew that the Drevlians would almost certainly murder her infant son for fear of vengeance. But unfortunately, it wasn't Igor's son that they needed to fear, because Olga was pissed. Now, the Princess of Kiev, as she was now referred to, of course, being the only uh, monarch, in Kiev and Rus at the time, since the other one had literally been split in half. Uh, she's now the regent for her son until Sviatoslav comes of age. Now, Olga displayed her cunning. She was very, very witty, and she outsmarted many a men. She played the innocent widow who needed a man to get on in life. She sent the messengers back to their boats, saying she would speak to them real soon about the engagement. She also told them to stay in their longboats, and her people would carry them across the land in their boats back to her to have the discussion as a show of respect. Uh, just to clarify as well, these boats mm. are not like big boats. These are long bo- long ship boats. You know, like the, the typical boats yeah. you saw Vikings traveling around in. It was just easier to navigate, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, some people could yeah. carry those. So um, the Drevlians accepted, and they were like, oh, brilliant. Like, she's totally on board. <laughs> I-, I thought this would have gone worse. We just ripped her husband in half, <laughs> and she's like, yeah, all right, cool. Yeah. That was easy. And, uh, yeah, they enjoyed the ride. They were sat in their ships as as the local Kievs, uh, Kievans, uh, picked them up and walked them over to Olga, who was standing the, uh, in front of a large pit that had been dug the night before. And um, when she gave the order, <laughs> Olga had the messengers, along with their boats, thrown into the pit where they were then buried alive. She was waiting for her time to strike, wasn't she? Oh, yeah. Yeah. She was like, listen, uh, go off and uh, I mean, I, I, I'll consider your uh, engagement. Come back to me tomorrow. In the meantime, like, get that get that pit dug now. I mean, fair play to her. Like, I respect someone that can sort of quell their anger 
to wait for vengeance at the appropriate time. Oh yeah, and when she unleashed it, she unleashed it, man. Like it gets yeah. worse, but like at this moment, it said that Olga bent down to watch them as they clambered for dirt, oh. trying to escape the pit. Nice. Can you imagine that? She's just bent over, just looking at and being like, "You pieces of shit." Yeah, I like it. I like her. Yeah, and that should be it, right? She got revenge for her husband. Um, that should be the end of the episode, right? That's all we know her for. It's a bit bloody, a bit, you know, revenge feel. Yep. But no, uh-huh. this pagan woman was hell-bent on not just getting revenge, but destroying the Drevlians. Yeah, fuck it, why not? Yeah, why not? Olga had a letter sent to Prince Mal of the Drevlians saying that she had received his proposal and that the messengers would be staying with her. She was pleased with the proposal and wished to come to Drevlian lands, but she would like Prince Mal to show respect to her by sending her his, quote, distinguished men to her in Kiev so that she might go to the prince with due honour. And indeed, right. Prince Mal sent his most elite warriors to Kiev so that they could escort Olga back to the Drevlian land. Mm. Totally unaware that the messengers have just been buried alive. Yep, yep, yep. I'm sure, I'm sure that'll get to him at some point. Oh, well. When they reached the capital... Olga offered them a great honour. After a long journey, they should all bathe in her private bathhouse, right? That's a nice Mm. thing to do. They agreed and entered the large bathhouse, enjoying the warm water. There was then a clank, to which I'm sure some of the men may have heard, but thought nothing of it. And then the room got hot. Very hot. And it wasn't the water. And the steam was getting harder to breathe. And that's because it was no longer steam, it was smoke. Olga had barred the doors and set the whole building on fire and watched as every man in the building burned alive. She's awesome. But then I... But then this here's the thing, Ryan. At what point is burning people alive awesome? As we've just said, because we're clearly on Olga's side here. However, there are have, we've done other episodes where the same exact thing has been done to people. We've been like, that's awful. No, I shouldn't be doing that. Like Vlad the Impaler did exactly the same to to poor people who probably didn't deserve it. Definitely didn't deserve it. And also, uh, was it Boudica? She did the same to Romans. It's very. It's interesting you bring up Boudica actually because I make reference to her later um, oh, okay. in 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 how we look at Olga and how we look at Boudica and it's how. Fa- uh, it's just classic history, isn't it? Like killing people and burning them alive is okay when you're rooting for the person doing it. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting with context. It, it context is everything, isn't it? It's like oh, mm. well, if I just told you that she burned people alive, you go, well, that's horrible. But like, what if I told you that that those guys ripped her husband in half with two trees? You'd be like, eh. Suddenly it's okay. Suddenly it's okay. okay. But that doesn't yeah. mean people can go burning people just because they've inconvenienced <laughs> them slightly. No, this if is awful. Takes, what? Just, if you take something away from this episode, it doesn't mean you can go and burn people alive. <laughs> uh, yeah. Now, there's angry, and then there's Olga levels of angry. Like, she's pissed. She's seriously pissed. Which is why, I, which is why we think that she genuinely loved her husband a lot. Because, like, you wouldn't go to this levels of, of revenge for someone that you just happen to marry for, you know, for the sake of it. Mm. So she sent another letter to the Drevlians saying that she was on her way along with the messengers that she burned alive, uh, buried alive and the elite warrior escort that she burned alive. Now, she had to do this quick because they'd figure out really quickly like where where are all my men going they keep going to Kiev and they're not coming back so she's sending them letters being like oh we're on our way and they're all coming with me and they're like oh okay fair enough we're not expecting them back yet so she made a request to the Drevlians she asked that they prepare great quantities of mead for a funeral feast for her late husband as was pagan tradition to which the Drevlians accepted so she made her way to Igor's tomb on Drevlian lands, where she paid her respects, and a funeral feast was had. The Drevlians all drank their weight in mead and celebrated the death of Igor. And when they were sufficiently drunk, Olga gave the order for her men to slaughter her husband's murderers. Which is such a smart way of doing it. Mm. I can't. How's no one thought of this before? Let's have a peace treaty. Let's all get drunk and enjoy it. Uh, now you're drunk. Let's kill them. Ah, oh, so smart. Now, it's said that 5,000 Drevlians were massacred that night, 
but that number is somewhat disputed. It, it It's more likely 500 at a push, but even still, that is a lot of people, and that is brutal. Oh, yeah. It, it, I've, I've, I dare say that uh, brutality was the language of the, the, the area of the time. So, again, uh, Olga is properly into this shit, right? It's the, There is a report out said that... Um, Whilst this was happening, Olga was just screaming at her men to kill him. Mm. Like, just go for it. Do what you want. Rip his head off. Stab him in the guts. Like, just go for She was encouraging them constantly whilst this was happening. I mean, this woman is scary. Like, I would not want to piss her off if I was her husband. <laughs> no. Um. But then I, I like strong women. Is a statement <laughs> yeah. that I've just made, so I'm rooting for her. But no, you wouldn't. You wouldn't want to be on her. You wouldn't want to be on the other side of an argument with her. Oh no, no, no. I mean, you're right. I mean, someone has to tell the waiter that my order is wrong at a restaurant. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to be the one that does that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I believe every man needs a, a strong woman by his side I, because I, men I generally what, are quite useless, and women we are, tend to sort we us are out. useless. I tell you what, Olga would do. Olga would go into the kitchen and tell the chef herself that this order is wrong. Smash the plate round his head and then make it herself. Yeah, and she'll make it better than the chef's as well. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Now, after this, she went back to Kiev where she organised an army and prepared to make her own... uh, to to make every town pay for her husband's death. She went town to town collecting tribute. Those that held out met Olga's anger. The Drevlians met her in the field, but stood absolutely no chance. Bear in mind, she has already murdered all of their elite soldiers um, in a bath. Um, now, the Drevlians, um, with no army to stop her, she headed to the capital of Drevlian land, which is called Iskorosten, which is now Koroston in today's Ukraine, and she set up a siege of the city. This lasted a year, and at no point was she like, you know what, I've done enough. I'm not that angry anymore. She -hmm. just stayed angry the whole time. Uh, So yeah, she stayed put and eventually got a message to the city saying, quote, why do you persist in holding out? All your cities have surrendered to me and submitted to tribute so that the inhabitants now cultivate their fields and their lands in peace. But you had rather die of hunger without submitting to tribute. Now, the capital of the Drevlian lands, their reply showed how afraid of Olga they were. They had said that they wanted to surrender, but were afraid that she was still looking to avenge her husband. Now, I can only imagine that Olga laughed when she was read this, um, <laughs> just being like, lol, <laughs> they're so scared that they just <laughs> won't, they won't concede. So she sent back another letter saying that the murders of both the messengers at the, and the men in the feast, uh, that was enough for her. You know, she's done. I'm done. Most of the lands have all paid tribute. Uh, and then she even said to them, quote, At this time, you have neither honey nor furs, so I have a small request to make. Give me three pigeons and three sparrows from each household. I do not wish to lay a heavy tribute on you, as my husband did. Now, delighted that this may all be over, right? The Drevlians did as asked. Three pigeons and three sparrows for every house was taken out of the city and escorted to Olga. And, like, that's... That's nothing. Like, she's gone to all these other places, been like, give me money, give me furs, give me everything you've got. This place, she was like, no, just give me, give me birds. That'll do. You've got nothing. I've, I've been literally besieged your town for the last uh, year. You have nothing of warrant. Give me birds. And they've probably gone, yeah, okay. That sounds like a fair deal. Uh, yeah. And and then she went home. That was it. She was like, all right, I've got what I wanted. They're humiliated. I've pretty much destroyed them economically. Uh, and she went home. Except she didn't. She lied. She's too cunning for us, James. We can't predict what she's going to do. This woman is intelligent. She's very smart. Uh, And she's bloody got us. (laughs) She instructed her soldiers to tie a small piece of sulphur in rag to each one of the birds' feet. And that, when night fell, had them all fly back to the city where they went 
back to their nests in the attics of homes and buildings with their tail feathers set aflame from the sulphur. Olga watched as the dark night sky began to glow an orange hue as the city with all its inhabitants burnt to the ground. Whoa. So many fires were created, they could not put them all out in time. And those that managed to escape the city walls were cut down by Olga or sold into slavery. And those that survived were then forced to pay the tribute her husband Igor had initially come for. The Drevlians were decimated and for the rest of her life never uh, never had the power to do anything. How brutal. She's like, mad. She's mad, but like I'm really, really am backing her completely. Yeah, they, they, they say uh, revenge is a, is a dish best served cold, but not for Olga. Oh, yeah. Olga likes it flaming hot, man. Yeah. Olga goes to Nando's and goes, your hot sauce is not hot enough. <laughs> revenge is a dish best served with everything on fire. <laughs> yeah. She loves fire, man. She's like, yeah, give it to me. She's like the queen of fire. Yeah. But, I mean, I the mean, poor it, birds. Oh. I'm not gonna lie. This, as you're saying all this, I'm like, this would make an amazing film. Like, the cinematography would be fantastic, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would look great. Like, I say, those mm. poor birds, though. Like th- three, like six birds for every house in that city, and they all burnt alive. But what a brutal! I mean, that's like, quite sad. But it's it's quite sad. But what a smart tactic! Like, listen, I can't get into the city. They're not coming out. Uh, I'm gonna send incendiary pigeons into the city and just watch <laughs> it burn. That's incredible. <laughs> It's, it's ingenious for the time it's ingenious it's like yeah. ye old napalm yeah it is isn't it i bet even julius caesar would have been like whoa damn yeah that's mad like that is ingenious i really I, I hate the fact that birds are dying but i also commend the the thought behind it yeah and um yeah that's uh, that right so uh this was recommended to us right over the brutality of it and they were like ryan's gonna enjoy this and I, I totally did right so that's the brutality of olga like she's got her revenge the drevlians like i say from then on never ever ever had the power to sort of like stand up to her or her son or anyone so she got her mm. revenge and it's absolutely brutal um now after all that she, remember she was still the regent for her young son she did still have a a, a, a princedom or a kingdom i should uh, maybe should say to look after um she had she still had ruling to do and it turns out she was quite good at it now this is a hot take here which is ironic for the episode but i think women are just better leaders than men now i think i've actually mentioned this before on a show um so at least i'm consistent but honestly women leaders are just better i really do. oh I, I agree with you 100 women are much better because they don't have an ego well, yeah. obviously they do have an ego, but they're not as egotistical as men. They can put their ego to the side, whereas men will tend to do things to look good and their pride will come be, be a factor. For sure. But in terms of like looking after people as well, women are generally much better. They'll always put the needs of others before their own. And it, I find that strange that men generally are, are, are the leaders in the world. It probably should be the other way around, but like, I would like down to with point, patriarchy. I would like to point out, uh, just because it's obviously topical at the moment, Angela Merkel was German Chancellor for what over a decade or something, and yeah, a long time. Yeah, Putin was like he like almost like listened on every word she said, and then as soon as she was no longer in power and a man was, he was like, "Hey, Ukraine, how you doing?" Mm. Oh, I mean, one of the things that remember the time Putin was meeting Merkel and uh, in her youth a dog attacked her, so she's got a natural fear of dogs, yeah. and he decided to bring two massive dogs with him. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's a dickhead move, it's, but it's also a baller move. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's dodgy, isn't it? Now, um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, Olga changed the way that tributes were offered. So after all this, after all this, like, fucking anger and everything, she was like, listen, this tribute system is what caused my husband to die and for uh, me to go off and do this thing. So it wasn't my fault that I went and done this. Your fault. You brought that on yourself. That's... <laughs> Um, so she changed the way that tributes were structured uh, and had to be offered. She built infrastructure within the Kievan Rus lands. She installed local councils to help manage things. Um, so yeah, she's like really good. There was also an attack on Kiev in 968 CE that she helped to plan the defense for and beat back the attackers. So everything she did was to build and preserve the kingdom for her son Sviatoslav. 
who, although off-raiding quite a lot of the time, took the throne from his mother in 945 CE. Now, sometime in the 950s CE, Olga travelled to Constantinople. Now, the Kievan Rus and the Byzantine Empire had a complex relationship. Many of the Kievan Rus had uh, raided Constantinople over the years. In fact, many of the OG Swedes who went Viking in Constantinople ended up becoming employed by the Byzantines, uh, and they became the famous Varingian Guard, you may have heard of. Um, where they, they literally just hired Viking soldiers because they were like, you guys are brutal. You guys are insanely mm. good. And that's why as well, apparently, you'll see quite a lot of runes are uh, mm. chiseled into the Hagia Sophia, you know, that famous um, uh, mosque in istanbul yep 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 i know yeah there's some like runes written in there being like you know eric was here <laughs> it's like yeah cool <laughs> i love that <laughs> um yeah uh now it seems that olga went on a diplomatic mission meeting with emperor constantine the seventh who upon meeting her was like oh damn she's fine and after speaking with her was like yeah this girl is worthy of ruling by my side despite the fact that he already had a wife which i imagine she wasn't very happy about now Olga was used to this kind of attention. She'd had many suitors over the years. Um, and I imagine they're all like, look how loyal this woman is. Like, this is someone you want to marry. Um, but she dodged them all. She was like, no, not interested. Not interested at all in marrying someone else. Mm -hmm. And here, she had an emperor flirting with her, which I imagine was even harder to sort of say no to. Like, be an empress. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Now, um, initially, she was just like, uh, cheers, mate. I appreciate the kind words and all, but, you know, I'm a pagan woman um, and I could never marry you because you're a Christian. Your religion wouldn't allow it. So there's that. One nil to Olga, right? But mm. remember, she's on a diplomatic mission. She doesn't want to be uh, hit on by the emperor, but she kind of does want to get something out of this at the end of the day. So she doesn't want to upset him. So using her wit, which we know is sharp because she, she tricked all the Drevlians. Now, they're either thick as shit or she's very smart. Um, she promises to be baptised into the Christian faith, which absolutely stunned and excited the emperor. He was like, what? Okay. But there's a catch. She told the emperor that she would only have herself baptised into the Christian faith if the emperor should be the one to do it. So the emperor agreed to the terms and accompanied by a priest had Olga baptised uh, with the emperor becoming her godfather. Now, supposedly her new Christian name was Helena, but we will continue to call her Olga because there are um, some conflicting uh, sources that say Helena was actually his wife and he talks about his wife and not Olga. And somehow they, there's, a, there's a theory that they've got them mixed up. So we'll continue to call her mm. Olga. Now... So what's to stop the emperor now having his way with this new Christian woman, right? She's no pagan now. Mm -hmm. Well, the emperor had the finest people teach her about her new religion, and it's said that she took to it like a sponge absorbing water. And over time, the emperor supposedly proposed to Olga, now a Christian woman, to which Olga replied, quote, How can you marry me after yourself baptizing me and calling me your daughter? For among Christians, this is unlawful, as you yourself must know. Basically, she's saying, you're now my godfather in the eyes of the Lord. Uh, and I, that means I'm your goddaughter. And for a, a father to marry a daughter, that would be incest. So how could we marry? She's got him there, <laughs> unless he doesn't care for incest. No, the emperor replied to her saying, quote, Olga, you have outwitted me. <laughs> I mean that's fair. He's clearly like he he stewed on that one for a while, yeah. didn't he? Oh, I think he was like, "How well, the how is this going to reflect on me?" Yeah, I love it, and I like that as well. Uh, he took it in 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 good stride as well because Olga left uh, the Byzantine capital with uh, still being called his daughter. He he referred to her as his daughter from then on because goddaughter. Yeah. Uh, she also left with gold, silver, silks, vases, and many, many gifts. So uh, she was so smart. She outwitted him, and he was like, fair play. Listen, whatever. This is it, then. We're, we're good. We're good. She's yeah. good. <laughs> She's the one that got away. That's so clever. 
<laughs> spiritual incest is the way man like that's how you get out of stuff <laughs> yeah now back in kiev olga attempted to convert many of her fellow russians uh kievan rus people sorry not russians not yet um but it was a hard slog she attempted to have her son baptized but sviatoslav becoming to, to sviatoslav becoming christian was seen as a weakness and he thought that he would be mocked by his people uh so for the most part a lot of his military men were all pagans such as himself and such as his mother was growing up and obviously that naturally they looked at christians as being sort of lesser and weaker one god would you one god i've got loads of gods like come on and he thought that if he converted to christianity they would no longer support him properly um but despite this olga built many churches across what is now known as ukraine she did spread the word to her grandsons one of which uh, vladimir or uh, volodymyr in ukrainian would go on to convert the kievan rus people now olga would die in 969 ce from an unspecified illness likely aged in her 70s which is good innings for the oh, time oh wow yeah great yeah. innings now despite the fact that her son sviatoslav didn't approve of her mother's religion he allowed for her to receive the last rites from a priest and she was buried on consecrated ground oh and uh, she did ask that a uh, uh, funeral feast as was tradition in the pagan belief um was not uh, uh done she asked that that not happen she was like i don't need that just mm. bury me in consecrated ground be done with it and and he was like yeah. okay fine and the son listened to his mum which is i like that at the end of the day i, I quite i do like those kings that still listen to their mums i mean everyone listens to their mums don't they it doesn't matter how powerful you are you always answer to oh your i mean i'm i'm currently watching narcos on netflix and just like watching yeah. pablo escobar do everything to protect his wife and his mum and listen and that dude yeah. is bad and i'm not i'm not condoning anything but like when his mum calls him like you know, she calls him pablo or pablito and i'm like ah oh, like that you, you always listen to your mum always yeah it, just, it doesn't matter who you are you you listen to your yeah. mum now um i'm sure if putin's mum was still alive she'd be like bro enough and it'd be like okay, supposedly, supposedly his ratings have gone up yeah. what in russia that's just because it's all propaganda Possibly. isn't it i was interviewing um someone in ukraine who has family in russia and her family from russia have been messaging her being like why are you lying about the war like ukrainians are bombing themselves to make it look oh, bad crazy it's crazy. They're honestly fucking brainwashed. Yeah. The whole thing. It's mental. And this is why Russian soldiers as well are getting to Ukraine and being like, whoa, this is not what we signed mm. up for. Mm. Uh, we could get into this at the end. Um, there is an opportunity to do so. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, despite her grandson, uh, Vladimir, uh, obviously I referred to him as Vladimir earlier, um, but Ukrainians, uh, as far as I'm aware, call him Vladimir. Um, just like they're president right he he's he's yeah, known vladimir as the, um the father of ukraine like vladimir created the kievan like you like not ukraine but like that area like russians take him as well and they're like this this is like the father of the region um and i find it interesting that like ukraine's charismatic leader is also called the same uh, now as i say despite her grandson vladimir being the one to convert the kievan rus it was olga's teachings that kick-started the whole thing and because of this she was canonized into the Eastern Orthodox religion, the Roman Catholic religion, and others as Saint Olga of Kiev in 1546, nearly 600 years after her death. Now, she is the patron saint of widows and converts, which is uh, apt, I believe. Um, and she was also mm. bestowed the title Equal to the Apostles, which gives her the honor of being on a level with Jesus's initial followers which is pretty impressive. That's mad, yeah, fair play. Now, being the princess of the Kievan Rus and living in the capital of Kiev nearly all her life, she quite fittingly is still there today. Her statue stands outside the famous St. Michael Cathedral in the centre of Kiev. Uh, and as far as I saw, I think yesterday on the news, um, they were putting sandbags over her statue. So she's still there, still defending the city, which I quite like. Oh, good. Although and I bet the Russians will want to do something about that. Well, this is what we're going to get onto in a second. If anyone is aware of the Ukrainian symbol seen everywhere, it's used on the national football team symbol. You know that one looks like a it looks like a fork or a trident. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, um, it's actually a very, very old symbol going back to the time of Rurik, who was obviously that initial guy that came over from Sweden. 
uh, his son Igor and Olga's descendants, they all use that symbol or a variation of that symbol. So it's almost like she's always around. Yeah. Which I quite like. Almost like the spirit. Oh, to be fair, I'm, I'm glad you said that because I've always wondered where the symbol originated from and yeah. learned now, something today. There is, uh, a th- there is a theory that it actually looks like a bird diving down um, to like catch prey oh. or something. Yeah. Which it does quite look like. Um, but also, I was looking at their symbols, like uh, Rurik and Olga used these symbols as well for her personal signage. Um, they use variations of it. So I believe it actually comes from that. Um, but yeah, mm. I, I, I find that fascinating. It comes back from such a long, long time ago. And that, like even though she's still standing in Kiev, almost protecting it, she's still there. Always there. I like that. Yeah, I like that a lot too. Now, I found this episode interesting. For the most part, like that's the episode done. Like we've talked about Olga. Olga's done. Um and she's fascinating. Like genuinely fascinating. And I found this episode really, really interesting. Um, because as you mentioned earlier, it reminded me of our episode on Boudicca, where we asked the question if Boudicca was a terrorist or not. Now, it doesn't quite equate here, but her methods were brutal. There aren't many mass murdering saints out there especially ones that jesus would like to hang out with um mm. so yeah it although we rooted for her uh, as a good person Boudicca in our episode was actually i believe a good person as well um their methods are terrible like that's awful oh yeah 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 but it's not on really yeah no, i mean Boudicca, she killed innocent people like people arguably innocent people like a lot of these were retiree soldiers and whatnot but they're not soldiers anymore they're just trying to get on with life but they are living in occupied lands so uh. but there was a possibility with olga that the drevlians could come over and kill her and her son so i suppose a preemptive strike is maybe warranted i'm not sure maybe there should have been some who's to know why am i trying to get in the politics of over a thousand years ago i'm not sure it's probably not warranted uh, um, <laughs> yeah but, uh, but also um i was fascinated to look into this uh, era of history and uh, more more specifically this region of the world um like we all learned about western europe's history growing up like romans and all that kind of stuff but um i knew nothing next to nothing about eastern europe's history no no nothing. we're not we're not taught about it really are we no idea how like you know ukraine russia all those areas sort of come to be i I know i had no idea so i've learned so much like how diverse and rich the people and the cultures are throughout history like some like the slavic culture is insane it's it's so diverse there's so much going on there and i I just found that really fascinating so i've actually really enjoyed um uh, learning about that and actually really starting to understand the context for a lot of these nations that came to being nearly a thousand years on um, this is the thing with Eastern Europe as well. Like, obviously, there's a lot of conflict in Eastern Europe. There has been for uh, m- many, 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 many years. Mm. And, and it's all, it's all contextualised. There's a lot of history that goes into it. And I think maybe in the West, we need to do better at learning about this history. And equally, I think in Russia, they need to do more learn about Western history as well. Because if you contextualise things, everything makes a bit more sense. And conflicts generally can be avoided. Yes. Because... People, people like we look at the Ukrainian war. A lot of Western media is like, "Of uh, Putin's gone a bit crazy and he's invaded Ukraine." Which generally, is the be all and end all of it. But there's also a hell of a lot of context about why he thinks that Ukraine is Russian. Yeah. Um, now, that's a really fascinating point that um, I'd like to expand on. Which is, it's funny you mentioned that because it's literally my next thing to, to bring up here. Um, and this is sort of the rub of the story. Uh, Olga and her ancestors are from a region that is called the Kievan Rus. And it's very evidently Kiev and Russia. And they both have their origins in their names from this area and these, these peoples, right? And both nations use Olga and her grandson Vladimir in Russia and Vladimir in Ukraine as saints. So both Russia and Ukraine, I've called her like, you know, well, basically like almost like a Ukrainian hero over in russia there are statues of her there and they worship her there mm. she's part of their religion too um so and this is the thing that these two nations do have a lot of mutual history they do somewhat herald from a familiar people uh but mm. this is where putin can use history to try and claim justification over his war crimes because he says that ukraine and russia are one in the same and that they should be a part of russia due to their shared history um, so in some way you can you can justify his thinking but it is also ridiculous 
and I'm vastly oh it's a complete it's dumb as fuck uh, totally now I'm vastly oversimplifying here but it's kind of like Britain invading Ireland because we have such a close shared history and were once a United Kingdom and speak the same language I, in my opinion that's it's it's on the same level Mm. Uh, just to be like, well, we, we we both have ancient Britons, and we all kind of you know from that history. And it's like, yeah, sure, 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 but that's not how it is now. See, like England's patron saint Saint George, right? The dude was he Greek. was Turkish, Greek or Turkish for all we know. Now it doesn't mean that Greece or Turkey should be a part of Great Britain just because we have a shared history like that. It's the same way, like you know, it doesn't work. And 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 you know, lastly, I I did a DNA test. Um, thing where i found out where my ancestry comes from and it turns out i have quite a bit of it coming from norway does that make me norwegian no would i like to be sure but things change and we're not the same people we were a thousand years ago so it, it just doesn't the justification is not there it doesn't exist it doesn't it doesn't no it's the countries are very closely tied because obviously i've been speaking to a fair few people in and around ukraine especially over the past week um and I've noticed that a lot, a lot of these people, a lot of Ukrainians, have relatives in Russia, as I mentioned earlier. They're generally like uh, are against their own family now. Um, the the there's a woman on my course who is uh, Ukrainian, and she's going there uh, very soon. And I didn't realize that she's got a brother in Russia, and they haven't spoke for years because he just doesn't regard Ukraine as a separate country. He thinks it's Russia. Which is mental because now her family, her mom and dad, are now in bomb shelters being bombed by the Russians, which her brother is supporting. It, it, none of it makes sense. That's hard. And we, we've spoke about this before in terms of like War of the Roses, English Civil War. It's people fighting against each other, like brothers fighting against brothers. But that belongs in the medieval time. Mm. It's 2022. Yeah. You, you, you've got to use your fucking noggin. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um. It's 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 it is a shame. It is a shame what is happening. And now it, Ukraine's history is genuinely fascinating, and I would genuinely uh, recommend anyone look it up if you are interested in what is going on and to sort of get an idea for what uh, Ukrainians are fighting for in terms of their independence. Uh, looking at their history and the amount of it they have uh, it, it is is worth looking into to try and really get an understanding of what it is they are uh, trying to fight for. Now. That was our episode on the life of Olga of Kiev, the saint you really don't want to piss off. Uh, now, mm. this episode was a listener request from Stacy from Michigan. So thank you, Stacy, for the recommendation. Uh, this is a direct quote from when Stacy recommended the episode to us. Uh, quote, just when you think she's gotten her revenge. Oh, wait, there's more. I think Ryan would get <laughs> a kick out of her story. And I certainly did. <laughs> I certainly well, did. Yeah. Thank you. They know you will. Yeah. Thank you very much, Stacey uh, from Michigan. Um, now, if you guys have any suggestions for episodes, do hit us up because um, we've been doing quite a few more of these now, um, which has been really cool. Uh, Instagram is the best place, it uh, turns out, to get hold of us. Like, when you start a podcast, and I think every person that's ever started a podcast does this, you make a million bloody social media accounts thinking that you're going to be useful across all of them. And over time, you figure out what ones are the best ones to use. Uh, now, whilst you can get hold of us on Facebook and Twitter, and many people do get hold of us on Facebook, uh, Instagram genuinely does seem to be the best place to get hold of us. Um, most people message us on that. Um, yeah, I think uh, Twitter notifications sort of get lost in the, the stratosphere somewhere because yeah. there's so many accounts. Instagram tends to come through a lot clearer. Uh, it, Facebook as well is a really good way of doing things. Yes, both of those work absolutely fine. Um, so, yeah, keep them coming. Do message us. And, um, yeah... If, if we don't get to your episode in time, um, it's because, you know, these episodes take time to make. Um, so, yeah, bear with us. Uh, send us a message. Uh, recommend something to us. We will always message you back and we'll always be like, yeah, totally. We'll get on that. Um, I'm working on Mormon slowly. <laughs> it's getting there. Yeah, I kind of passed that baton to Ryan, which I'm kind of glad we're, about. We're getting there. We're getting there. It's, it's, <laughs> um, I'm doing research at the moment. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, thank you very much for listening, everyone. I hope you've enjoyed that episode. I know it it, it, it was uh, what's the word? It's topical, and yeah, I just oh, yeah, I think yeah. it was a good time to bring it up. So yeah, thank you, Stacey, for recommendations. Yeah, I agree. All right, uh, we'll see you on the next one, shall we, James? We shall. Um, so next week, 
it's uh, basically um i m- one of my housemates luca she is german she's a very good friend of mine and she pointed out to me that every time i tend to do an episode on someone german it tends to be a nazi brilliant so i i want to uh stay away so it's going to be a german episode next week um she's given me some ideas i don't know who i'm going to do yet but it Ooh. will be german and it will be a nice german Wunderbar. apparently they exist <laughs> that's uh we it's do get fine. a fair few German listeners, <laughs> yeah. so um, guten Tag if you are listening from Germany. I'm learning German as well at the minute. Excellent. So I have Excellent. a lot of time for the German people. Ah, oh, wunderbar. Right, okay, let's uh, let's let's set off, shall we? Thank you very much for listening, everyone. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Rate, review us. Oh, uh, Spotify. Make sure you do that on Spotify. It's totally fucking easy. Head on to oh, the... Oh, yeah, that's a thing, isn't it? Yeah, totally head over to just like That's What People Do's page where you find the episode at the top on the left. You literally just pop in five stars and we've got quite a few people who have done it so far and I'm eternally grateful for it. So, yeah, make sure you do that, please, whilst you're listening to this episode. All right. Thank you very much, everyone. See you next week. Goodbye.